morning is Psalm 28. Psalm 28, a psalm of David. To you I call, O Lord, my rock. Do not turn a deaf ear to me, for if you remain silent, I will be like those who have gone down to the pit. Hear my cry for mercy as I call to you for help, as I lift up my hands toward your most holy place. Do not drag me away with the wicked, with those who do evil, who speak cordially with their neighbors, but harbor malice in their hearts. Repay them for their deeds and for their evil work. Repay them for what their hands have done and bring it back upon them what they deserve. Since they show no regard for the works of the Lord and what His hands have done, He will tear them down and never build them up again. Praise be to the Lord, for He has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in Him and I am helped. My heart leaps for joy and I will give thanks to Him in song. The Lord is the strength of His people, a fortress of salvation for His anointed one. Save your people and bless your inheritance. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. Our scripture reading this morning is from Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9, beginning in verse 20. As we continue in our series in Daniel 9, verse 20. While I was speaking and praying confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and making my request to the Lord my God for his holy hill. While I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen in the earlier vision, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. He instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you began to pray, an answer was given which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the message and understand the vision. Seventy sevens are decreed for your people and for your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Know and understand this. From the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens and sixty-two sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. After the sixty-two sevens, the anointed one will be cut off and will have nothing. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end and desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, He will put an end to sacrifice and offering and on a wing of the temple He will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on it. Well, as we continue in our study in Daniel, we should not forget that most of Daniel 9 is taken up by Daniel's prayer and confession of sin. This chapter of Daniel chapter 9 gets a lot of attention by Christians today and rightly so. But many focus on the 70 weeks prophecy at the end of Daniel 9 without paying due diligence to the context of Daniel's priestly prayer for his his sin and the sin of his people at the beginning of Daniel 9. Now last time we saw how Daniel's prayer is but a bit different than what we're used to as modern Christians in America. Daniel offers a very ornate and poetic congregational prayer. 
Daniel's confession of sin and plea for forgiveness was made for all of God's people. And it's the same pattern that we saw actually last week with Bo's sermon as Bo led us through the Lord's Prayer. How did Jesus pray? How did Jesus teach his disciples to pray? Was it just me, myself, and God? And that's how a lot of Christians tend to think of prayer today is just my personal conversation with God or my personal request that I make known to God. Well, Jesus didn't pray to teach us only to pray that way. He taught us our Father. Notice how it's corporate there, a congregational prayer. Our Father, give us this day, forgive us our... You see how that's working? Lead us not into... See, the practice that Jesus was teaching His disciples fits the very same pattern that Daniel's prayer shows in Daniel chapter 9 when Daniel prays for his sin and the sin of his people. Biblical prayer is not merely individualistic. It is also congregational in the widest sense. Daniel and Jesus both teach us to pray as members of a wider body, the covenant people of God. Now that has a lot of practical implications and we, I just want to point that out as we go through this, the connection here between Daniel's high priestly prayer, that's really what it is here in Daniel chapter 9, and the way Jesus taught his disciples to pray as well. Now what prompted Daniel to pray on this occasion? Remember, Daniel 9.2 gives us an important context to the prophecy later in the chapter. Go back to verse 2, we see what prompted Daniel to pray this prayer. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the Scriptures according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So remember, Jeremiah prophesied that Jerusalem would lie desolate for 70 years and that time was now up. And Daniel understood that the time was now up. Yet Israel could not return to the land while they remained in their sins. Remember, that was the whole point of why God sent Nebuchadnezzar, his servant, to cast Israel out of the land, out of the garden, so to speak, was because Israel was defiled. And so here is Daniel praying on behalf of his people. He was praying for forgiveness for his people, for a cleansing before they could return to the land, rebuild Jerusalem and the temple and dwell in God's presence. So keep that bigger part of the story here in mind. And the key here is that the 70-year captivity is the pattern for the famous 70-week prophecy in Daniel chapter 9. And we saw last time how the timing given in prophecy through Jeremiah is very important to take seriously. What was the conflict between Jeremiah and the false prophets all about? Jeremiah and the false prophets both agreed that God would bring the Jews back from Babylon. That was not in debate between Jeremiah and the false prophets. What made the difference between Jeremiah and the false prophets? One word. Timing. Timing is what made the difference. Jeremiah said the captivity would be long, 70 years, and he told the people to settle in Babylon, build houses, plant gardens, and give your children a marriage, and pray for the well-being of that city. And what did the false prophets say in response to Jeremiah? The false prophets said that the captivity would be over soon, and the people would return to the land any day. They were false prophets because they did not listen to the timing that God gave for the fulfillment of His Word. So let's remember that context as we get here into the prophecy of the 70 weeks. 
So we should understand that if the timing of the 70 years of captivity was important for Daniel to get right, and he obviously believed the true prophet Jeremiah about the timing, then the timing of the 70 weeks prophecy is something that we should take seriously as well. And so Daniel 9 shows us at the very beginning and at the very end that timing in biblical prophecy matters. So let's go to our text because as we get into this, realize that the 70 weeks is sort of an extension of or related to the 70 years captivity that Judah was experiencing in Babylon. Verse 20 of our text. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and making my request to the Lord my God for His holy hill, while I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen in the earlier vision, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. He instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you began to pray, an answer was given, which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the message and understand the vision. Now, realize here what's going on in the story. Daniel had showed sincere concern for God's people and the glory of God's name. How does God respond to Daniel's dedication? God responds by giving Daniel more wisdom and insight about the future of Jerusalem. And there's a very important pattern here that we can recognize. God gives leadership, knowledge, and wisdom to those who dedicate themselves to the service of the kingdom. Daniel demonstrated profound care for his people and city with this prayer, with this high priestly prayer and this confession of sin. God saw the fervency and dedication of Daniel and he responded by letting Daniel in on what he would do in the future. And by the way, this is not just a pattern we see here in Daniel. We see this pattern happening over and over again with various people in the Bible. A few people came to mind as I was thinking about this and the way this chapter is unfolding. Also consider how we see the same pattern in the life of Abraham. Remember, Abraham was searching for a city whose builder and architect was God. And what we see in the story of Abraham is that God reveals himself more and more to Abraham with his promises about the future. That's no coincidence. Those two things go together. Uh, Also consider the same thing with Moses. Moses talked with God face to face and it was also Moses who was demonstrating profound care for his people. Beginning when Moses stood up for his people in Egypt and killed the Egyptian and also when he came back later to deliver God's people out of the bondage of Egypt by God's word. Uh, We see the same thing with David. David also was zealous for God's work. Remember the the example of David's zeal to build the Lord's house. And of course, the prophet comes to David and he says, David, you're not the right guy to build the house. But I'm going to tell you how to, how, how to, that your son's going to build the house and here's what you can do to help him get ready. The prophets, for example, spoke of what God was going to do in the future in Israel and his redemption of the old covenant world. And we see how the prophets who were zealous for God's glory and honor, who, was speaking, who were speaking against God, the sin of God's people, and calling them to repentance, they were the ones, the prophets, who God revealed himself to more and spoke about the future to come in God's providence. So that's the way God works. He reveals himself and his plan to those who are committed to his interests 
and who are zealous for the development and protection of His people. Now, verse 24. Here we have the beginning of the prophecy. Seventy sevens are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Now, the English translations that we have don't really capture the original Hebrew very well. The items in this list are actually arranged in a chiastic order, sort of like A, B, A, B, uh, that kind of order where you have the, the first thing is related to the third thing and the second thing is related to the fourth thing. That is, finish or literally fill up transgression is linked to the third line, atone or cover over. That's really the, the concept in Hebrew. It's cover over wickedness. While the second line, put an end to sin, is linked to the fourth line, bring in everlasting righteousness. So those things are actually poetically linked in the, in the way the text is presented to us. It's a, there's, a, there's a logical relationship, a chiastic order. Now, what is being decreed to Daniel? 77s, right? What is that? Time. Time is being decreed to Daniel. Now, if we read this in the context as an answer to his prayer for the forgiveness of sins, then we will, we will see this even more precisely. Daniel is praying for the forgiveness of sins and the angel comes to give him an answer to what? An answer to his prayer. The decree of 77s or 70 weeks is a time of forgiveness. Remember, put this in the context of the first half of chapter 9. God told Daniel that he would forgive Israel of her sins for 77s. Seven times 70. Does that, does that sound familiar to you? Think about some place in the New Testament where we see this very same phrase come back seven times 70. Yeah, it should be familiar to you because Jesus talked about this kind of forgiveness. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 18. And I want to show you how this actually links to Jesus' own ministry and how, because we don't understand the background of Jesus' ministry in the Old Testament, we tend to miss what Jesus was really talking about. Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 22. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but seventy-seven times, or seventy times seven times. Now people tend to read Jesus here as if God calls His people to forgive unconditionally forever and ever. But Jesus uses this phrase directly from Daniel chapter 9, 77. What is Jesus teaching on forgiveness? Jesus teaches us to be gracious in our forgiveness just like God was gracious to His people in answering Daniel's prayer. But this is not sentimentalized forgiveness. This is not some kind of uh, mushy-gushy just forgive everybody who ever sins against you forgiveness. No, this is disciplined forgiveness. God was gracious to Daniel and the Jews for a long time. However, Jesus did not teach unconditional forgiveness or perpetual open-ended forgiveness. Seventy times seven is a set time, a full overflowing measure of grace. Notice in Daniel 9 what the 77s are decreed for. To finish or fill up, literally 
the concept there is to fill up transgression. And the idea here is not to bring transgression to an end, but to fill up the transgression to its full measure. And we see this mentioned a few times in the Old Testament. The very same concept in Hebrew is communicated in Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15, verse 16. This is what God told Abram while Abraham was in the land of Canaan. Genesis chapter 15, verse 16. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here for the sin of the Amorites has not reached its full measure. In other words, the sin of the Amorites had not been filled up. So how long did the Amorites have of grace? And this is the time of grace that God told Abraham he was going to give the Amorites. The Amorites were given four generations just like Israel is giving here in Daniel chapter 9, 77. And so what we see here in the Old Testament is a pattern, again, of God showing grace. We have God showing grace to Gentiles in Genesis 15. And we have God showing grace to Israel in Daniel chapter 9. The Israelites would not have four generations of grace. They would have 77s. Now, we need to keep Daniel's forgiveness theme of the 70 weeks in mind in order to understand key points of the New Testament. Do you remember what Jesus told the Pharisees and teachers of the law? Actually, he was teaching exactly what Daniel was introducing to us here in Daniel chapter 9. Go again to Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23. In verse 29, Jesus says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if we had lived in the days of our forefathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of the sin of your forefathers. See that? Jesus is talking about filling up the measure of the sin of their forefathers. You snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? Therefore I am sending you prophets and wise men and teachers. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Others you will flog in your synagogues and pursue from town to town. And so upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. I tell you the truth. All this will come upon this generation. What is going on here? Well, Jesus is telling them, Jesus was telling the Pharisees and the Sadducees to fulfill Daniel's prophecy because Daniel prophesied that 70 weeks were determined to fill up the measure of sin. Seventy sevens are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish, fill up transgression, to put an end that would be to forgive sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy and anoint the most holy. And in Hebrew, it is actually the most holy place. Thinking of the temple there, that's where the allusion comes from. The most holy place related to the temple. Now, the other lines in here, to seal vision and prophecy means to fulfill or bring to pass what was spoken of by the prophets. To anoint the most holy place, that's an interesting reference because actually that is a reference to a dedication of a new temple. 
What Daniel and the Jews understood from their history, if you go back and you read the dedication of Solomon's temple, there was only one time that anointing oil was to be used in the temple. If you, if you go back and you look at the... This is, becomes very clear with the dedication of Solomon's temple. The oil was taken into the Holy of Holies and it was sprinkled in the Holy of Holies on the initial dedicating ceremony, the setup of Solomon's temple. There was no occasion to bring oil into the Holy of Holies other than that one example in the history of the Old Testament. So what is Daniel referring to when he talks about the anointing of the most holy place? Well, he's talking about the anointing of the new temple, which is the anointing primarily of Jesus. Remember, Jesus referenced his own body as God's temple. Destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. And of course, they made the mistake thinking he was talking about you know, the rebuilt temple, the second temple. Paul also taught that believers are the body of Christ, the living temple of the Holy Ghost. So we see that in Ephesians, especially chapter 2. So Daniel's phrase, anoint the most holy place, what the 70 weeks are decreed for, is speaking about the reality that at the end of the 70 weeks, a new temple, the body of Christ, would be dedicated for the true worship of God. And we see this very clearly in the New Testament. When Jesus was baptized, the Holy Spirit came down from heaven in the form of a dove and you have an anointing of Jesus Christ into his priestly ministry at the age of 30, which is the way the Old Testament priests were also anointed into ministry at the age of 30. And then we see the very same thing with the Spirit outpoured on the body of Christ at Pentecost. That is an anointing. And so you have the temple and the living temple together being anointed in the New Testament in fulfillment of Daniel's prophecy in chapter 9. So let's continue in our text. Daniel chapter 9, verse 25. Know and understand this. From the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes. Of course, it's obviously the Messiah. There will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. I hope you can see how much this passage in Daniel plays in the background of the New Testament. 69 weeks total from the, the decree of Cyrus to the coming of Messiah is decreed very clearly in, in this passage in Daniel. And that's really why, that's why the Jews were looking for their Messiah in the first century. It's why so many false prophets and false messiahs arose among the people. The Jews knew Daniel's prophecy and the Jews could count. And so they were expecting the Messiah when we see when the opening pages of the New Testament. So note that everything in this prophecy, again, takes place right on schedule. Everything, the timing is telling us exactly what's going to happen. And so Daniel was told that the city would be rebuilt in times of trouble. Read Nehemiah and you'll see the difficulty that the Jews encountered when they began to return to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. Nehemiah had all this different kind of opposition in the land and that's really a fulfillment of what Daniel talked about. After the 62 sevens, the anointed one, Jesus, will be cut off and actually it's a little bit different than this the way it reads in English. It's excommunicated. That's really the concept there. It's an excommunication. Jesus was dispossessed by the religious leaders and killed and he was assigned a grave with the transients and the dispossessed. 
Okay? That's specifically what the prophecy is getting after. It's an excommunication. And then he says, the people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. Remember, what we're, what we're dealing here with is, is the same sequence of kingdoms that was first introduced in Daniel chapter 2. So that tells you who the ruler of the people who will come will be. It's the fourth kingdom, Rome and the Caesars. Rome destroyed Jerusalem and the temple in AD 70 right on schedule. And I'm going to just give you... Uh, my point here is that the destruction of the Jerusalem in AD 70 is the termination or fu- complete fulfillment of Daniel's 70 weeks. And we see that very clearly in the text. The end will come like a flood. Cataclysmos. Same Greek word in the Septuagint as used for Noah's flood. And that's why you have this, this little theme going on in the New Testament that the coming destruction would be like the days of Noah, etc. Cataclysmos, the very same Greek word in the Septuagint as used for Noah's flood back in Genesis is used here in Daniel chapter 9. It is the same end here that Jesus and the apostles spoke of coming in their day. The end of the old covenant age. The end of the, the age or the days, the old creation with its shadows and types. Now you can see how much Daniel 9 plays in the background of the New Testament by reading Jesus' teaching from the Mount of Olives in Matthew chapter 24. Jesus talked about the destruction of the temple and the desolation of Jerusalem to come at the hands of the Romans. So realize that Jesus was expounding on what Daniel had already prophesied about. He is simply teaching and fully applying what Daniel the prophet had already prophesied 500 years, virtually uh, nearly 500 years earlier. And so we see this thing again, how everything in the New Testament is building on what the Law and the Prophets had talked about in the Old Testament. Verse 27, He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, He will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on a wing of the temple, He will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on it. And there's all kinds of notes in your Bible probably about different words that could be used to translate this. It's very difficult to translate this because there's a lot of complexities to it. But Daniel says the Messiah will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. When you think about confirming a covenant, and, and, and Daniel's working with all the history of the Old Testament in mind here, when you think about someone confirming a covenant, what story in the Old Testament comes to mind? I'll give you another hint. The story is related to the name that Jesus has. Of course, Jesus' name is Greek for Joshua. And what did Joshua do after he brought the people across the Jordan and into the land? He confirmed the covenant with the people. And well, we see the same thing here with Jesus. This is a prophecy of what Jesus would do like Joshua of old when he brings his people to the land. Jesus came to accomplish God's salvation of his people and give rest to his people. And we see in Hebrews how that land of promise in the Old Testament was a picture of the land of salvation, the place of God's rest. So, Jesus came to confirm the Abrahamic covenant with many, those who live by the faith of Abraham. And so there's this 
there's this interplay here in Daniel's prophecy reaching back into the story of Joshua confirming the covenant and what Jesus would do when he came. The crucifixion takes, of Christ takes place in the 70th week, making the old form of sacrifice and offerings obsolete. But, like we see in the New Testament places like Acts, the crucifixion of Christ did not yet remove that old order, that old temple system. In fact, we see in the book of Acts that there are priests serving in the temple who become Christians. And we see people like Peter and, and, and John going to the temple. We see Paul going and offering a sacrifice later in his ministry when he had to purify himself for, for celebration of the feast and things like this. So the crucifixion of Christ takes place in the 70th week, making the old form of sacrifice and offerings obsolete, even though they were still being practiced in lesser and lesser degrees as we go past that point of the crucifixion. Now the abomination that causes desolation, I believe, is a reference to the Jews killing their Messiah and the persecution of the early church right after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so what we have is this abomination that causes the ultimate desolation of the old kingdom of Israel and brings a final end to the old covenant age. The decreed end would be poured out on the city during that generation. And so what, what you should think about here is the book of Revelation and the pouring out of God's judgment. The chalices and the seals being broken and judgment being poured out from God upon high on covenant apostates. Now there's a lot of confusion here as we get to the end of Daniel chapter 9 and the 70 weeks. There is a lot of confusion about Daniel 9 in our day. Uh, most of this confusion is a result of mistaken expectations and misunderstandings of the central concern of Daniel chapter 9. Now that we've read Daniel chapter 9 and looked at it closely, I hope you can see very clearly that the central issue in the prophecy of the 70 weeks is the forgiveness of sin and the arrival of everlasting righteousness. That is what Daniel 9 is all about. Let's pray.